There is an urban legend about Halloween. A local neighborhood had a decorating contest and the scariest house went all out. Spider webs, rotting pumpkins, even a fake corpse hanging from their tree. But the week after Halloween, the winning house uh, didn't take their decorations down. Nor the week after, or the week after that. When the HOA called the cops, they revealed a sickening truth. The corpse wasn't a decoration. The homeowner had hung himself. The legend speaks to the idea that Halloween, for all its horror, provides a sense of safety. Because everything is scary, nothing is scary. So when a crime does occur on Halloween, that makes it all the worse, because we aren't expecting it. Today, we're covering the top 10 Halloween murders, the true crimes and real horror in the sea of fake blood and candy gore. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to the ParCast Original Crime Countdown. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast research gods. This week, we're counting down the top 10 Halloween murders. Okay, first things first. What's your favorite <laughs> Halloween costume? I was like, what is first? <laughs> Get down to business. Um... I was a dead bride for like three years you in were. a row when I was younger. You were. I kind of wonder what that says about me now. I guess we'll find out. I don't know. <laughs> What's yours? <laughs> well, when I was younger, like before you were born, when I was younger, I was a mad scientist a lot, yep. which like is pretty on brand. It's just what you are now. But my favorite costume was a Jack the Ripper victim and John was Jack the Ripper. It's how I knew he was the one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you getting ready for that with that like latex stuff on your face. And I was like, what? What is she doing? Oh, yeah. I went hard with the spirit gum. You did. I went full for it. I love it. I never really got into like any Halloween mischief other than just trick-or-treating, but yeah. I did trick-or-treat until my sophomore year of high school. Yes, you did. I remember that. I was like, you're not going to get anything. And then you'd return with like a pillowcase full of stuff. But a lot of people sophomore year were like, you're far too old for this. Yeah. They were like, like you I'm, cannot. No, I'm not. I mean, the only real mischief I got into was one year we stole some pumpkins, carved them, and then replaced them. I love what a wholesome crime it's that is. So it's very, wholesome. very wholesome of you. My mischief. Like, let me, let me help you with that. Let me help you decorate. <laughs> well, what's not so wholesome is what we're covering today. Mm-mm. Elena has five Halloween murders and so do I, but we don't know who will tap out first. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Boo berries. That's Science VS. 
New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. 10. I'll get us started with number 10 on the countdown, the cold case of James Adomski. On Halloween night, 1982, Adomski went out drinking at a local bar. He left the bar with a lady friend, but they split up on the walk home. Two months later, hunters in the local woods found James's body buried in a shallow grave. Ooh, I've never heard of this one. Like, what an escalation. Yeah. Wow, sirs. Adomski was only 18 years old. Which, when I first read that, I was like, this is a grown man. And now I'm like, you're 18. I know, that took a turn. He was a high school senior. Like, to put that in perspective. 1982 was two years before President Reagan raised the drinking age. So he could could drink legally. So just in case anybody's like, what you doing at a bar? I was confused, but he was fine. Fake IDs, you know. His costume was what he called the American gigolo look. And it was probably inspired by Richard Gere's character in the 1980 film, American gigolo. There you have it. Get it. I love that <laughs> for him. So smooth. I love it. He had gone to the 5 and 23 bar in his hometown of Depew, New York, near Niagara Falls. And the girl who left with him was the one last seen with him, but she was quickly ruled out as a suspect. Okay, well, at least she didn't have anything to do with it. Because I was going to say, she, I was like, where's that girl? We got to track her we down. We got to find her, but they, they found her. Luckily, they did their job. Detective work, check. I'm like, detectives, you better find that girl. His body was found on December 26, 1982. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, a little ways after that. His cause of death was blunt force trauma, and investigators sent his clothes for a DNA test, but they came up with nothing. Which is always crazy to me when somebody can leave nothing. I know, and especially blunt force trauma, you don't leave anything. Yeah, usually you leave a part of you, you take a part of them, it's how it goes. Yeah. Current DA John Flynn said, the two strongest theories that occurred here are one, something happened in that bar, and two, a random hitchhiker or person driving a car picked him up. I feel like something happened in the bar. I do too. That's what I felt. Because usually that's the case. I felt it in my bones. Like he pissed off some dude or something. Man, it doesn't seem like he was too far away from where he was walking. He was like in a local woods. Yeah. So if it was a hitchhiker, I feel like they would have brought him somewhere. Maybe that girl was like a setup or something. Ooh. You never know. Look at you just just placing things out there. I know. With no evidence to back it up. I love it. That's healthy. I love it. (laughs) In 2017, Flynn and the city of Lancaster put up an $11,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest. Only two leads were even brought forward. They went nowhere. And the case is still cold. So we'll add it to our list of cases to solve. We're gonna solve it, guys. We're on it. Nine. Number nine is the 2011 murder of Taylor Van Deest, another teenager who just wanted to have fun on Halloween. Taylor dressed up as a zombie and went out to meet a friend. Her family reported her missing when she stopped answering her texts. An hour later, they found her dead body. That's so sad. Isn't that crazy? That was so fast, too. She just leaves for Halloween night. So the last text that she sent out said, quote, I'm being creeped, which what? 
that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. But also, like, who among us has not sent a text similar to that? Like, when you feel like someone's following you or something, you're like, someone's being creepy. Oh, I send that text all the time. Like, yeah. I'm at Target and I'm like, I'm being creeped. I'm being creeped. It's, it's like such a normal text to send. Yeah. Um, and I'm always on alert. Yeah. I have my head on a swivel. Well, people presumed, obviously, that she was stalked as she walked along train tracks in her hometown of Armstrong, British Columbia. There was evidence that she tried to fight off her killer, but the neighbors assumed that the screams were just Halloween-related, and they ignored them. Never assume. Never. Don't do it. You know what it does. Taylor's body was found in bushes near the train tracks, and her zombie makeup had blended into her bludgeon wounds. That's horrific. Isn't that so horrible? That's not, yeah, I can't, I have no words. The killer, Matthew Forrester, was tracked down after police matched DNA on Taylor's body to records from when he sexually assaulted an escort in 2007. Oh, so he was just like a terrible human being all around. a real bad guy. Just from the jump. Now listen to this. His own dad helped cover the crime up. He quit his job, bought Matthew a fake driver's license, a social security card, and a bank card, moved Matthew's stuff, and lied to the police. That is terrible parenting. Uh, okay, thank you. I was like, that's bad parenting. That's real bad parenting. Because like, stand by your kid. I get it. Yes. It's your kid. No matter what my kid does, I'm going to be on their side. But you make your kid take responsibility. Your kid murdered someone. Yeah, like, that's a learning period. Yeah, you can still love them. It's your kid. I understand. But, like... And obviously, this is a habit, like, and it's only going to get worse. Your kid has a problem. You need to take care of it. Well, luckily, his efforts failed, and Matthew was arrested and convicted of first-degree murder in 2014. Good. A retrial did take place in 2018, where he was convicted of second-degree murder instead. What? Crown prosecutor Christopher McPherson said lack of parole is extremely rare for a case like this. He murdered a woman. Yeah, lack of parole is extremely rare for murderers. That's awful. Hate that. Eight. Number eight on our list of Halloween murders is the 1998 slaying of Carl Jackson. Halloween is known for harmless pranks, but some pranks can turn fatal. After Carl Jackson confronted a teenage boy who'd egged his car, he figured the night was over and he drove off. But the angry teen wasn't done. He chased Carl down and shot him in the head. Oh my God. Like, what? Like, you should expect a little prank on Halloween. Well, it's like, what are you doing? You egged his car. So these kind of reactions to little pranks and people being angry about little pranks is not very uncommon, weirdly enough. Really? Since 1984, at least 24 people have been seriously wounded or killed in violence sparked by egg throwing. Wow. Yeah, egging cars is vandalism, so it's a crime in and of itself. I think eggs can really mess with the paint on your car, too, so I guess that makes people real mad. It's like throwing an egg at someone, because it is like, it doesn't hurt, but it's like, it's got that sound it makes, and if it's, it's gloopy, far enough, I feel like it would. And it's gloopy. It causes gross, like, it's just a nasty thing to do. You know what I'm picturing, don't you? Never been kissed, yes. of course. When she gets egged in the yes. face, and he calls her a loser. The worst scene in any movie. It gives me that lump in my throat. It does. It makes me want to cry. Go watch it. It's really terrible. It'll ruin your life. In all 24 cases of this, a group of boys threw the eggs, and the target confronted them. And then violence ensued. This is just like Carl Jackson. That's crazy. 24 cases, just all the same like that. Yeah, it's crazy. He was just 21 years old, and he saw Halloween as dangerous. 
So he was not super into Halloween. But he had agreed to go out with his girlfriend to pick up her nine-year-old from a party in the Bronx. So he was just doing his girlfriend a solid. I know. Like, that's terrible. It took his family two years to even discuss this incident. They couldn't even talk about it. Well, yeah. They were devastated. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling was charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon and was convicted and served 20 years for the crime. I feel like 20 years is not even enough Yeah, that's for not, murder. For shooting someone in the head? Over, right. Like, that's crazy. Over a prank? Well, every Halloween, Carl's mother, the victim's mother, sends Curtis a Halloween card reading, I'm glad you're still here. Oh my God. What a woman. What a lady. Up next, the controversial shooting of Yoshi Hattori. Shortly before Halloween 1992, two teens accidentally knocked on the door of the wrong house for a party. The simple misunderstanding escalated when the homeowner pulled out his gun and shot one of them. That is not a proportionate response. Not at all. Webb Haymaker was friends with Yoshi and wanted to bring the Japanese exchange student to a Halloween party. And Yoshi was living as an exchange student, like I said, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for two months now. And he was like super excited to go to this party. Oh, that makes me so sad. I know. Everyone that knew Yoshi considered him like a free spirit, a good time. He dressed up like John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. Yes. Incredible. I almost just said Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, you know You know, John Travolta. (laughs) And Webb dressed as an accident victim. Ooh. I know. Weird. Imagine when people ask you what you are and you're like, I'm an accident victim. Well, then a really bad accident happens. Weird. Don't like that. Weird choice. Rodney Pierce aimed his gun at Yoshi, who thought it was just a Halloween prop, and ran toward the house. But it was too late. He'd already been shot. In court, Rodney used the Castle Doctrine, essentially the stand-your-ground law. Ah, yes. And he was found not guilty. But they weren't, like, threatening him, were they? Sounds like they just knocked on the door. Like, you're standing your ground because they knocked on your door accidentally? Doesn't make any sense to me. Not cool. Obviously, much controversy ensued. The Hattori's visited the U.S. to promote gun control legislation. Handguns are actually illegal in Japan, so this was obviously, like, earth-shattering to them. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either until this. Um, President Clinton signed the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act a few weeks later. Hmm. So at least something good came out of it. Something came out of it. Still so sad. Yeah. Six. Also on our list at number six, the 2012 murder of 24-year-old Rebecca Gay. Early Halloween morning, Rebecca was asleep in her home when her neighbor broke in and killed her. What? Even worse, this neighbor was both her church's pastor and her mother's fiancé. I'm gonna need to know a lot more. You sure are. And you know what? I wonder if they picked this for me for a reason. The killer's name was John White. Stop! Which is my husband's legit name. Stressing me out a little bit. John? He previously served time for assault and manslaughter, but then he became a pastor in Michigan, and everybody was like, you know what, we want to see you turn your life around. And it sounds like he did for, like, maybe a minute. Maybe, like, a hot minute. Hot (laughs) second. Just a hot second. The congregation was aware of White's criminal past when he joined, and he delivered Sunday sermons for three years, and then he got engaged to the victim's mother. Okay. He had fantasized about this crime for at least two full weeks while watching, ready? No. Necrophilia 
porn. Ew. He drank four beers, broke in, and he had a mallet and zip ties. A mallet? I shouldn't be surprised that that is a thing, like necrophilia porn, but here I am. No, that's disgusting. Hello, my name is surprised. Ew. Yeah. White dressed Rebecca, this part, I like, okay, what? This made me transcend into another place. White dressed Rebecca's three-year-old son in his Halloween costume and dropped the boy off with his dad. What? His dad wasn't surprised by this because White had often babysat. Well, because it was like his step-grandpa. I hate every single thing about that. So he murdered his mother and then dressed, dressed him, him in a little three-year-old, like a little chubby like three-year-old. Like you took away his mom and then got him ready for Halloween. Dressed him up for, in a Halloween costume, like some adorable three-year-old Halloween costume, and then just brings him to his dad's house. That that adds a level of horror. Yeah, it that shook me a little bit. So the sheriff didn't sense any remorse from White. He said he basically just regretted that his congregation was going to find out. So he was embarrassed more how than about anything. his girlfriend? No, didn't care. Or how about the fact that you just murdered somebody? No, he was like, I'm a pastor. I'm really embarrassed about this. Yikes. Well, luckily, he was given a life sentence. But he died by suicide after hanging himself in his cell in 2013. I always hate that. I'm like, no, you need to, like, hang out for your yeah. sentence. Like, John White needed to rot. And it's really weird for me to say that. That is weird. That was a terrible one all around. I know. Like, really hate that. Are you expecting anything on the list that you haven't seen yet? There's definitely one. Yes. There's a huge one that I'm waiting for. Yep, same here. But we'll see if it comes. I think I have it. I think you do, because I don't. (laughs) I hope you have it. Hi, listeners. Kate here from Parcast Network with a special announcement. Our newest Spotify original from Parcast is exploring all things superstitions. The origin stories of bad omens, the hidden lessons inside good luck charms, the old wives' tales you really don't want to ignore. Every episode of Superstitions presents a new drama that unpacks a different belief. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? Why should you never stay on the 13th floor of a hotel? They may seem mystical or eerie or completely illogical, but if every culture has them and so many of us believe in them, there has to be something to them, right? Superstitions airs every Wednesday free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more podcast shows, search Parcast Network in the Spotify search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our list of Halloween murders. Number five would be the triple homicide of the Liskey family. In 2010, 16-year-old Devin Griffin came home from church to find his mother, 
brother, and stepfather, all still in bed, covered in blood. At first, it seemed like a prank, but then Devin realized it was all too real. His stepbrother had murdered their family. My goodness. So Devin's brother was bludgeoned with a hammer, his stepdad shot in the head, and his mother was shot and also sexually assaulted. Oh my god, that's like a terrible buffet of murder methods and weapons and... Everything. And he just came home from church. Like, that's so sad. Devin called his aunt, who then called 911, and the search was on for the missing stepbrother, 24-year-old BJ Liskey. Devin last saw BJ earlier that morning when he stopped by. Devin spent the weekend with his dad, but he wanted to stop home to change for church. And as he changed to head out, Devin didn't realize that his entire family was already dead. Oh, so, so he, he was, was there? there? Yes. Oh. It took only a few hours, luckily, for police to arrest BJ. He was found hiding out at the family cabin. Cool. Like, really? Of all, I the mean, I'm glad cabin. that you were dumb enough to go there, but, but of really? all getaway places? Yeah, come on. BJ actually had a history of violence and mental health conditions. He had previously attacked and attempted to sexually assault his stepmom, who was Devin's mom. BJ had been drinking with his dad, who was Devin's stepdad, the night before. And maybe the alcohol aggravated his poor mental health, people think. It's possible. In court, BJ could not explain why he murdered his family. He claimed he loved his father. And when pressed, basically he said, the devil made me do it. He didn't, though. It's like, no, that's very Halloween of you, but no. You just did it. (laughs) BJ committed suicide while serving three life sentences with no chance of parole. Stop giving us cases where these jerks get to do it before before they have to pay for what they did. They get out of the equation prematurely and it makes me angry. It's not fair. Four. Landing at number four this week is the 1975 murder of Martha Moxley. She went out to Greenwich's local mischief night, which is an evening of teenage revelry before Halloween, but she never came home. On Halloween morning, her body was found beaten with a golf club. Oh God, that's gruesome. But you know what? Another New England murder. Oh yeah. New England. We're not proud. We're horrible. No. So this tragic case really turned controversial because first, it was the first murder in Greenwich in 30 years. Yeah, so that's a long time to go without a murder. Yeah, that's And then to have this one be the first in 30 years. Yeah, it's like a massive one because it also, it has to do with RFK's nephews, Tom and Michael Skakel, who were the main suspects. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And these two guys could afford the top lawyers, obviously. They're of Kennedy. course. We love a Kennedy scandal, especially in Massachusetts. It's a New England vibe. It is. This isn't Massachusetts, but we love it here. They were allegedly rivals for Martha's affection. And there was, like, all these tales about, like, she liked this one, she didn't like this one. Martha was last seen kissing Tommy. And the theory that everyone goes with is that Michael killed her out of pure jealousy. That's ridiculous. Just find a different girlfriend. Exactly. I'm like, that's a bad idea. No one wins there. So the golf club was a murder weapon, and it belonged to the Skakel family. Okay, so there's the smoking golf club. I mean, let's just go with it. Uh, There was another main suspect, and it was Skakel's new-in-town live-in tutor, Kenneth Littleton. Which is like new in town, living tutor. To town. He's the new guy. He's here to teach you stuff and, and maybe maybe kill murder ya. people. Tom Skakel and Kenneth Littleton, they had the same alibi. 
They said they were at home watching the French Connection on TV. Okay. I looked it up because I didn't know. It's a movie and it stars Gene Hackman. And it was directed by William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist. Oh. Fun little fact. That's cool because I was going to ask you what that was all about. See, we're bringing horror back into this because this is horror all around. Michael was charged as a juvenile in 2000, and he was convicted in 2002, released in 2013, and then his conviction was vacated in 2018. And now there's a new trial pending. Whoa, that was a whirlwind and a half. This case is insane. It was like, first, but wait, and there's more, and this, and that. But don't sit down, because there's more. Whoa. Well, this is my favorite part. Michael Skakel changed his story. He was not learning French. No. First, he said he was watching TV with a friend. And then he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I remember now. I was actually just masturbating in a tree outside Martha's window while watching her undress. But I don't see how that's relevant. Even if that's what you were doing? Like, you don't think that implicates you then further? Like, bro. You, like, what? He's just like, oh, my bad. I was jacking it in a tree. Ew. <laughs> wow. That was gruesome like, in wowzers. so many different levels. <laughs> hate that. Three. Number three on our list of Halloween murders, the 1957 trick-or-treat murder. Peter Fabiano answered his doorbell on Halloween night thinking it was just a trick-or-treater. Instead, he was shot in the chest on orders of his wife's ex-lover. Ex-lover. I did this for a live show. You did. I knew it was familiar. Familiar. So Peter and his wife, Betty, had just reunited in their Sun Valley, California home after a trial separation. During the separation, Betty lived with Joan Rebel, and the two allegedly became lovers. Lovers. They loved each other. They did. So Peter and Betty reunited on one condition that Betty would cut Joan out of her life. Uh Well, that left Joan scorned, and so she plotted revenge with her friend, Goldine Pizer. That's the only thing to do when you're scorned. Joan and Goldine were both closeted divorcees. How is one a closeted divorcee? (laughs) I think they were like closeted lesbian divorcees. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, you were closeted about being divorced? (laughs) Like, I was like, that's weird. They kept it very (laughs) hush-hush about the divorce. (laughs) Well, per Vice, Joan seduced Goldine. Goldine claimed her murder motive was to, quote, please Joan. That's always the motive. I was going to say, that's always what they do. You're always trying to please Joan. I was scared (laughs) of Joan, and so I love her, and so I did it. Must please her. What Joan did is convince Goldine to shoot Peter as she drove the borrowed getaway car. Goldine carried the gun concealed in a brown paper bag, of all things. (laughs) Just walk up to the door like, hello. Okay. I have groceries. I mean, I guess that in 1957, maybe that's what you trick-or-treated with. That's what you do. I don't know. I think it is. Peter died from his wounds in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Oh, Peter. And he had just reunited with his wife, Betty. Afterwards, the woman burned their clothes and they split up. Joan told Goldine, forget you ever knew me. Wow. Which is so dramatic. Fade to black. Like, (laughs) done. I would be like, I just killed someone for you and now I'm supposed to just forget about you? Just forget you ever knew me. That's going to cost a lot in therapy bills, actually. It certainly is. Well, Goldine confessed and both women were sentenced to five years to life in prison and they were eventually released. 
It's really unclear what happened to Betty and Joan after the murder. That's kind of sketchy. It is pretty sketch. I love that Goldine, after she was like, forget you, but knew me. She was like, oh, okay. I'm gonna go tell now. I know. <laughs> she was like, okay. She was like, I'm not gonna forget Bad this. idea. So far, this is awesome. I didn't know a couple of these Halloween murders. I was excited to do the trick-or-treat one again. Yeah, look at that. Because I, when I saw that, I was like, ooh, live show. Yes. My next one is horrific in every way. And I totally forgot it existed. And now I know it. And now you're all going to need to know it, too. Wow. So get ready. Okay, let's <laughs> Excitement. do it. Next on the list of Halloween murders at number two is the death of 16-year-old Shirley Ledford. The fifth victim of Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris, Shirley Ledford was one of their most infamous killings. On Halloween 1979, the serial killer duo plotted her murder specifically to make newspaper headlines. I know this. This is by far the worst thing you will ever hear. Yep, in your whole life. Yep, pretty much. So these two were known as the toolbox killers. Bittaker and Norris used creative, aka real sick, methods to torture and kill their victims. They often used tools like pliers oh my and God. hammers, like wire, and like Didn't they things like you find in they a like toolbox. shoved things in people's ears. Yeah, it's no good. Oh. The first four victims received kind of little press, which is insane, and this aggravated Bittaker. Since childhood, he'd admired outlaws and bad guys. Oh, good. He said he aimed to be, quote, bigger than Manson. I feel like a lot of people say that when they, like, set out for a life of crime. Which is weird flex, since Manson isn't a serial killer, but okay. Yeah, he's not a serial killer. Weird flex. I'm just saying. It is. The pair believed cops wouldn't catch them, and they just wanted press coverage, so they grew reckless, which is what most of them do. Mm-hmm. You know, how, like, BTK got caught that way. Like, they all just start getting super over Messy. themselves, and they just just get sloppy. So they started hunting in Bittaker's neighborhood in San Fernando Valley, California. Bad idea. I was going to say, that's just stupid. They were driving around a big white van that they nicknamed Murder Mac. That's dumb. They had outfitted and renovated this thing with everything they needed to kill and detain women. Oh, like, God. it was totally outfitted just for that. And they picked up a hitchhiking teen. This teen was a waitress named Shirley. Now, Bittaker actually recognized her from a restaurant where she worked. They had literally interacted several times. Shirley got in this van because she knew him. Right. She was like, oh, like, this guy's fine. Like, they had talked. They had been friendly. Oh, and then man. what happens is beyond. So they both violently sexually assaulted and raped Shirley. Oh, no. Bittaker smashed a hammer into Shirley's elbow 25 <gasps> times, pulverizing her bones while making her say, humiliating things and they both were screaming at her to like scream louder oh my god this is horrific oh and it gets even worse they used a hanger and pliers to horrifically torture and strangle shirley finally oh my god her last words were do it just kill me oh my god after she was dead they dumped her battered body in a random front yard with like her arms outstretched like, in a front yard like naked with her arms outstretched in a front yard now norris had tape recorded all of this. That's so messed up. There's a transcript and I do not recommend reading it, but like, have you read it? Now you will. 
Yes. Why and, do you always read the transcripts? And you know what? I'm sorry for that because a lot of you are going to go read it and it's going to ruin your lives. It's like the toy box killer. Yep, sure is. But later, it was played as evidence, and some people fled the courtroom in tears. Obviously. Here, I can't imagine hearing it. No. That's a whole new level. No way. The FBI has the tape, and they use it to desensitize their agents. I feel like that just creates, That's like, how bad issues. that is, though. Yeah. Like, they play that because it's so bad that it can desensitize FBI agents. I feel like that would desensitize you, like, beyond repair, though. Well, you're going to come across really right. bad things. Obviously. You need to be able to handle it. So, hearing... The worst of the worst. I mean, there's nothing worse than this. There really isn't. Oh, man. So the press swarmed the quiet neighborhood, and the killers got the PR that they wanted, and they were finally arrested late that November. At least they were, like, put to a stop. One. And finally, number one on our list of frightening Halloween murders, the poisoning of eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien. This is the one I was waiting for. I know. I knew you were waiting for this this one. It's horrible. Timothy was the victim of every parent's Halloween nightmare, poisoned candy. But here's the kicker. Timothy's own father poisoned the candy that killed him. I hate this case so much. It's This case is so horrible. So, while trick-or-treating in Pasadena, Texas in 1974, Timothy's dad, Ronald O'Brien, just vanished. And then all of a sudden, he reappeared again and presented his two kids and their three friends with giant pixie sticks. Timothy ate his and complained that it tasted bitter, and then he began convulsing and vomiting. He had died within an hour before they were able to even reach the hospital. Eight years old. Oh, that's so awful. His autopsy revealed that the candy was laced with potassium cyanide. None of the other children ate theirs, but tests revealed that the candy contained cyanide as well. So he would have murdered five kids. Five kids, and three of them weren't even his own. Jesus. I mean, either way, it's messed up, but you know what I mean? Oh my God. The pixie sticks were stapled, so it was clear someone had tampered with them. Ronald claimed they were from a house that hadn't answered the door at first. Why which would you, like, but like, why would you let your kids eat stapled? Can't like, you're claiming like, yeah, it was stapled. Weird. Yeah, so weird, huh? No, like, you I would just, never let your kids eat that. No, I don't even let my kids eat candy we get from Halloween. I just buy other candy. That's true. I saw you do that. <laughs> <laughs> like defeats the purpose. I'm but you are weird. At 9 a.m. the next morning, Ronald called about a life insurance policy payout. He had taken out $10,000 per child that previous January. Not weird at all. Like $10,000 on your children? And why? Makes sense that the money was the motive because he was over $100,000 in debt. There's other ways. Just get a job or do anything else. Do anything. Literally anything else. A search of O'Brien's house found scissors with pixie stick residue. Hello, proof. Hello. Ronald had poisoned the candy. Another suspicious thing is that Ronald wrote a song about Timothy joining Jesus in heaven, and he grew agitated when his family, like, wouldn't watch him perform on TV. I hate that. Like, what? Like, I I don't want to watch you sing about that. I hate that so much. He was found guilty of one murder and four attempted murders. He was given the death penalty and executed 10 years later in March of 1984. Honestly, I stand like totally in the gray area of the death penalty, but I would have wanted to administer the injection on this dude personally. A hundred percent. Given the chance, like he's evil. Yep. That's somebody that I just feel like, like you were willing to, 
not just kill your own kids, which is bad enough. Kill other people's kids. And brutally kill your kids. Mm-hmm. Like, potassium cyanide poisoning? You heard it. He was convulsing and, and vomiting. vomiting. Like, that's horrific. And, like, supposedly you were doing it for money, but it's like, why were you... D- I mean, I guess he was doing it to the other kids as, like... As a cover, I think. Right. Just like, to make it like, oh, candy. they were all poisoned. Right. That is messed up. I think that number one was number one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely my number two, the like toolbox murders, that's a doozy. I feel like it's another thing where like they could have been tied for number one. But I think the number one was the number one because it had to do with Halloween candy and it was like trick or treating and the Shirley Ledford one was just like happened to be on Halloween. Right. It really didn't have to do with Halloween. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. But it's really awful. Did you feel like there was anything missing? So there's one thing. I knew you were going to find at least one. I don't know if we can count this, but I'm going to say it anyways. So we covered a case on Morbid. It was the Chelsea Bruck case. Oh, yeah. It wasn't technically on Halloween, but she was abducted from a Michigan Halloween party. Mm -hmm. And it was October 26th, 2014. Big Mike. And she was found the following April brutally murdered. And it turns out it was this human turd named Daniel Clay who murdered her after the Halloween party. Mm -hmm. But it's a really crazy case. Like, Lots of twists and turns. But it was like a big Halloween party in a field that was like every year and 700 people show up to it. It's like... It's Big Mike's Halloween party. Yeah, it's a big thing. Big Mike's Halloween party. It's interesting, but it's Halloween related. I guess. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's not left off, but just adding to it. There you go. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered each week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker. If you can't get enough of creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even more episodes about this week's stories that we think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it this far, follow us on our other podcast, Morbid Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast and on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast. And you can listen to us wherever, even on Spotify. We hope you keep it weird until next Monday. Do it. Bye. Bye. Crime Countdown was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen, Jonathan Ratliff, Maggie Admire, and Kristen Acevedo. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Don't forget to follow Superstitions where we take you into stories that unveil humanity's most peculiar beliefs. From black cats and broken mirrors to rabbit's feet and horseshoes, learn the backstories and hidden lessons inside our most questionable fortune tellers. Superstitions airs weekly, free on Spotify.